Gene Cernan was the last man to walk on the moon. In 1972, he left the lunar module to step onto an alien landscape. He completed whatever sciencey tasks they did when they did their moonwalks, I'm not really clear on that. And before he got back into his craft to return home, he wrote the letters TDC into the dust on the moon. Imagine the isolation, the feeling of immensity, the sound of the equipment, knowing that other than your company, there's no other human life for fathoms around. Imagine having such an important job and representing all of humanity in the vastness of space. Imagine, in the middle of that task, stopping to write your daughter's initials in the dust. The Bible can often feel like dry historical accounts. Laws, accounting, genealogies, and some stories of important people doing important things. But then there are moments where God and Jesus, the Son of God, reach down to do something so tender and useless as writing our initials in the dust. Now, I don't mean useless in a negative sense. I mean it in the sense of not meant to be of use. It's just sentimental. It's just feeling, heartfelt, not utilitarian, something done just for love. There are many differences between our culture and the culture in our scripture reading 20 centuries ago. But one similarity takes center stage. There's just stuff that needs to get done. That's what the scripture says, that there are many preparations that needed doing. In our story, Martha, the woman of the house, suddenly has an important guest, Jesus and his disciples. So she has many preparations to make, maybe cooking, maybe arranging travel, maybe making sure their feet are washed, maybe organizing servants, maybe all of the above. It's very possible that Martha is in charge of everything. It's all on her plate. Be productive. Be useful. Our society tells us the same thing. Find something worthwhile to do because there's a lot to be done. To our modern ears, looking through the Bible for lessons and laws, this story sounds like Martha needs to be taught a lesson, and Mary, the baby sister, wins this story because she sat down and left all the work to Martha. It's no wonder that this story upsets people, and while I think we should learn from Scripture, and Scripture should make us uncomfortable, I think that this interpretation is pretty ungracious to poor Martha. It makes her and Jesus and all of us kind of two-dimensional. Because as we all know, Martha doesn't just feel inward pressure to get all these things done. What happens if she abdicates? What happens if she sits down? The honest truth is that people are going to be upset. She'll be punished, maybe in small ways, maybe in large. At least socially, she'll be punished. Imagine Jesus' whole entourage of disciples arrive, and no one has cleaned or prepared any food or looked after any of their needs. Do you think all of that would go over really well? Martha has every reason to believe these things need doing, and she has every reason to think this is not optional. So what does she do to get help? She does the same thing society would do if she sat down. She finds someone to punish who hasn't followed the script. Her sister. I love this interaction because you can almost see the layers of family relationships here. The story doesn't say that Mary go, Martha goes to Mary first directly, although she might have. 
She goes to Jesus and tries to put pressure on Mary that way. Martha decides to gently remind Jesus of a woman's place. Of course, Jesus doesn't take the bait, but my point is Martha is three-dimensional, human, and I think completely sympathetic in this story. She doesn't see any other options. She was raised and socialized and pressured and reminded to take care of everything. There's a movie out this year titled Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, George asked me the other day to summarize the plot, and here it is. You've seen it, so you can tell me if this is right. A woman with ADHD tries to do her taxes. Is that about it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is an action movie, and so it doesn't stop there. The main character, Evelyn, also finds out that the universe is in grave danger. In fact, every universe is in grave danger, and only she can stop it. As fantastical as this premise is, it also feels so relatable. There's so much to be done. Hospitality, relationships, career, politics, tough conversations, cooking, cleaning, and yes, we still have to do our taxes. And our faith often feels very unhelpful here. The message we can get from the church is, yes, you're dealing with everything, everywhere, all at once, but listen, how are your spiritual disciplines going? <laughs> are you taking time to read the Bible and pray every day? You have all your usual responsibilities, but don't forget the universe is at stake. Don't leave that to-do list incomplete. Comedian Jim Gaffigan once described going from having three kids to four kids in this way. Imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> I told a story of myself last week. I spent most of my early life feeling like I had to take care of everything distracted by many things, trying to work and produce and prove myself. And here's what's funny. Every time I came across this passage, I identified strongly with Mary. I love studying, learning from Jesus, thinking about theology. But the truth is I was not sitting at Jesus' feet. Because while I did all of this studying and learning, my internal evaluator was turned all the way on. I wasn't just learning, I was trying to figure it all out. I wasn't just reading, I was trying to get it all right. My anxiety about being the perfect student, justifying myself by being the expert in the law, is the same thing Jesus is talking about here. You are worried and upset about many things. So be at peace. This sermon is not a lecture on how you oldest children should chill out and be more like the baby in the family. It's not about how you type A sorts are wrong and the type B people are better. Here's what I want to say. Our culture, our world, tells us to concern ourselves with many things. Always find something to do. Always take care of business. Always be productive. So much so, it's so insidious that even our Sabbath or worship can feel like a project. Even our rest feels like it's going to be graded. Am I resting restfully enough? <laughs> the point is not that Mary's temperament is better, but that she's aware of the freedom that she has in Jesus. Let's do an exercise, if you'll indulge me. You should have a pen nearby. I've scattered them around. And uh, there's, if you haven't checked the bulletin, there are these sermon takeaways. They're there every week, uh, but there's a little note section. 
in your bulletin. And uh, I'd like you to write down two things. First, things I need to do. Just write down that heading. Things I need to do. Leave a couple of lines of space. And then write the second thing. Things God needs me to do. Those two headings. And just, just write those for now. Things I need to do. Things God needs me to do. Now, once you're done writing that, I want you to set it down. Put it in your Bible or under your seat. Set it down. Do you feel that? Being in the mode to evaluate ourselves feels familiar and natural. You may have already started thinking of things to write down under those headings. But there's another possibility. There's another feeling. The possibility of setting it aside for a time. We are so used to striving and producing that we even see our faith through that lens. We try to take a break from working on work to working on our faith. But it is possible and even necessary to turn off the evaluator, to have space where you're not being graded, not by God and not by yourself, to be present and close to someone who loves you and isn't waiting for you to perform. You can pick up that bulletin later and write things in it if you want. You can pick it up never again. You can throw it away. But the point is, even though things need to be done and considered and judged, there is space in the world to set that down and be with Jesus. I recently heard of a concept called a yield state. This is when a newborn is with their parent, and the baby is full and satisfied and dry and awake. And in this state, there's nothing to do but stare at the person holding them, just resting with nothing to do. Maybe you've been the adult in that interaction. You've all been the baby in that interaction, even if you don't remember it. This state is important to the human body. Our chemical balance and our hormones and our healing all depend on it. But there's no striving in it. There's no performance. The most important task in the whole world is to just be open to love and connection. And newborns do it because they're allowed to. For many of us, that was the last time we felt that way. Almost as soon as we can strive we're encouraged to do so and never stop. But remember that baby with nothing better to do than to be held and loved. This is what Jesus is asking of Martha. Not abdication or laziness. He's calling her to know deep in her bones that doing everything everywhere is a choice. And being present with the one who loves you is a choice too. Sometimes... We have nothing better to do than be held and loved. To sit with Jesus and soak in his grace and mercy and wisdom. We can pick up the to-do list later. We can pick up the report card later. I promise you they'll still be there. Don't worry, they're not going anywhere. The Bible can seem dry and historical, but then we get glimpses of tenderness and love that are so easy to miss if we're being experts in the law, just looking for the rules. 
Hagar, an exiled slave, is saved from the jaws of death by God. And she says, you are the God who sees me. Israel is is saved from slavery in Egypt. Why, Israel might ask, because of what we've done? Because we're a great nation? Because we're number one? No, God says, because I loved you. David dances naked with joy before the Lord God and gets miserable feedback from everyone, including and especially his wife. But David has set down the report card. He's set down the to-do list because at this moment, he's completely loved. Like a baby blinking at her mother, yielded and whole. These moments of impractical, reckless love happen all the time in the Gospels. Jesus loves to set down the most important work in the world to just stop and be with someone he loves. And if he can do it, so can we. So in the Bible, we come across today's story. Is it a story of something else we should be doing while we're already trying to do everything everywhere? Jesus says, Martha, Martha. To our ears, this might sound like exasperation, like when your mom calls you by your full name. Uh Uh-oh, it seems like Martha's really worn out his patience now. But this doubling of her name isn't diminishing her or infantilizing her. It's actually amplifying her. In the Bible, to repeat someone's name is to name them with feeling, with deep emotion, with your heart laid open and vulnerable. Imagine Jesus, God made vulnerable, his heart open, asking us to set down our armfuls of burden and hold him close, yielded and whole. There is such tenderness in the Bible because the Bible is not really about what we need to do. It's really about what God has done. Martha, Martha is a summons of love and rest to this woman who, for a lot of good reasons, feels like she has to do everything. And this moment, Jesus is calling her name with his whole heart. This moment is immortalized in the pages of the Holy Bible forever. Jesus has so many important things to do. He has to save the universe, after all. He's on his way to the cross. He's walking into the tempest, representing all of humanity. And he stops to take the time to write Martha's name on the pages of history. What a useless, sentimental act. And because of his call to her, we know Martha forever. And what we know about her is that Jesus loved her. In 1972, Gene Cernan set down his important work, whatever it was, and took time to write his daughter's initials in the dust of the moon. Gene knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what it meant. There's no atmosphere in the wind, in the moon, no wind and no erosion. Her name would stay there forever. That's how you're loved, forever. It will outlast your dinner plans and your to-do list. This love will outlast the dust in your home and the dishes in your sink and your employee file, and yes, even your taxes. It will outlast your report cards and your self-criticism and the criticism of others. It will outlast death. You are loved with an everlasting love. And Jesus does give you permission 
to take the time and rest in that love.